Welcome to What We Call Love, a podcast series empowered by Bumble and the Twenties Club. We've talked a lot about love on this show, specifically the romantic kind. We've spoken about the pursuit of romantic love, what it feels like when you find it, the gut-wrenching pain of losing it, and the courage it takes to go out and try and find it again. But we haven't spoken in too much detail about arguably one of the best kinds of love, family. The one we're born into and the one that we choose. We haven't spoken about the love between sisters or between a mother and her daughter. We haven't spoken about a godparent and the tiny human they're tasked with imparting unsolicited advice on. And we haven't spoken about the love between a step-parent and their bonus child. Thankfully, New Zealand has within it so many examples of modern family dynamics. But for all the beauty and joy they bring, modern families are not without their challenges. And if you're part of a blended family, you'll know that they can be inherently complicated. That's because for blended families, you're trying to merge together two separate lives, usually with children from previous relationships, and each person will have their own expectations of what a family should feel and function like. Ali was 24 years old when she had her first son, Eli, and she spent the early years of his life as a single mum, which meant that the idea of introducing Eli to one of her dates or romantic partners was forever a daunting one. How would she know she was ready for the guy she was seeing to meet the most important person in her life? At what stage in a relationship is that even appropriate? These were questions that weighed heavily on Ali and almost never had a straightforward answer until she met Jake. Now, people say when you know, you know, right? They say that when you meet the person, capital T, capital P, You just know. It's like this gut feeling. Suddenly it's clear why every relationship that came before this one was destined to fail. And when Ellie met Jake, she knew she'd found the person. But that didn't mean that the rest of their relationship would be simple. And I think that's because, as I mentioned, blending families isn't simple. In fact, the only thing couples can say with absolute certainty is that combining your life with your significant others is really hard. And it becomes all the more delicate when there are children involved. We recorded this conversation when Ali and Jake were only a matter of weeks away from the birth of their first child. Ali was late into her final trimester and, in her words, massive. So I'm incredibly grateful that they were willing to come and chat. The couple were refreshingly honest about everything from step-parenting to the delicate task of blending families all the way to miscarriage, their decision to try again, and what it's like raising biracial kids in New Zealand. Listening to their story reminded me that you're never going to be 100% ready for something. To ask a person out, to move overseas, to fall in love, to have a baby, or to move in with your partner. There's no such thing as the perfect time, and in that sense, any moment could be the right moment. Ali and Jake admit that, just like the rest of us, they don't have all the answers. They're simply committed to doing life together and leading with their hearts and eyes wide open. Here's Ali, Jake and I for what we call love. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna tell the like a fake story, and then I'll just button after and Perfect. tell the real story. No, no, no. Uh, we first met when I was 
working at the botanist and she would come in and do her sort of freelance work there and she came in for lunch with her mum. We had a bit of, bit of a laugh and... Banter. Bit of banter. And I was like, cool. And then, she, you know, she left and that was sort of... I didn't think I came across you for another couple of years. Oh, no. Maybe. This is not the correct story. This, 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 this is, is not the correct story. And I didn't come across her for a couple of years and then I came across her on Instagram. No. And... And I followed her. This is not the real story. And then she private messaged me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, re- replied, to, replied, so replied to one of my stories no, at the bottom. No, that's not what classic slide. <laughs> yeah, and then we just sort of started messaging and then I plucked up the courage to ask her out. And what was it that you were initially attracted to about her? Her looks, yeah, definitely. But also like, a couple of the big things for me is that she's got like a really beautiful smile and it lights up her whole face. And for me, it seems really genuine. And also just her, from what I could tell from Instagram, like her nurturing side with Eli, you know, and I've always wanted to be a dad. So for me, that was a really big sort of thing that I was attracted yeah. to. So you loved that she was a mum? Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a bonus. Ali, for you, when you guys went on that first date, what was it that you were most attracted to by Jake? His energy. Like, I think sometimes when you hang out with someone for the first time, you can just, you feel a certain way. So, like, I felt safe. I don't know. Like, everything just felt really, like, natural. And he had, like, a really, like, warm energy about him Mm. and, like, really kind eyes, I remember. We had a lot of fun on that first date, you know, like it was... And lots of wine. Lots of wine, lots of fun. But, uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't something that we were just, like, looking at our watches to end. We were just comfortable being there. So I think, uh, you know, we definitely... Felt quite reciprocal in that sort of way. And I feel like 30 minutes in, we were having, like, really intense conversations. Yeah. What were you talking about? Life. Yeah, life. But, <laughs> like, like what it was, like, real, it was, like, it got really intense really quickly. But it, it That's always a good sign. Fine, yeah. That's sort of been the theme for our relationship, though, <laughs> yeah. really intense really quickly. <laughs> yes. Okay, so your relationship did move really quickly after that first date. Yeah. Specifically, Ali, how did you know that you were ready for Jake to meet Eli? Because as a single mama, that's a moment, right, of deciding Mm. whether you want a partner to meet the most important person in your life. Yeah. So I had never, like, I've never introduced Eli to anyone besides Jake. And I had, like, a very strict six-month rule. Like, you know, I I would have to know that, like, I was in a relationship with someone that was going to be very serious before I introduced um, them to Eli. But I introduced Eli to Jake after, like, four or five days. (laughs) Um, And so what was different that you threw out the six-month rule? There were a couple of things. I think one of them was the fact that I had been thinking for a while that, you know, maybe having all those rules in place is not practical because how can I really be dating someone and then them not seeing me as a mum because it's, like, the biggest part of who I am. Yeah. And so I'd been kind of, like, thinking about that a lot, like, kind of just before we started dating anyway. And then I think it was just the fact that, like, you've got, like, a lot of nieces and... Yeah, and you like, said God that Jake's, Jake's a godfather. Yeah, I guess, like, on that first date, like, you spoke a lot about how you're quite involved with them, like, picking them up from kindy and stuff. And so I guess for me it was, like, that made it a lot easier. And I don't know, I guess just, like, going back to what I said about, like, on that first date how I felt safe with someone who was really kind. And I just felt like even if things didn't work out... Mm. 
I just didn't feel like Eli would be affected or I just felt like yeah. there wouldn't be this, like, messy... You because know. you knew he, you knew Jake's heart was good. Yeah, and I just felt like we would, you know, if things didn't work out with us dating, I still felt like we'd remain friends or, That's you nice. know, so there wouldn't be, like, that issue of Eli getting attached to him and then things not working out. And, Jake, were you nervous to meet Eli or what kind of, like, feeling did you have around that sort of next step? No, I was actually pretty excited. I think I made that sort of let known to Ellie from from the get-go that I was, you know, pretty keen to catch up with her and Eli. Uh, For me, you don't just date Ellie. You know, you date Ellie and Eli. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I know. No, you know, but, like, for me, I said it on the last podcast, they're a a package deal, you know. Um, And so for me, that was something that I wanted to invest my time in from the beginning. Yeah, I was like, yeah, let's do it. What did you guys do for that first date with the three of you? We went to Mission Bay. We did too much of one day, first of all. We went to Mission Bay and he... Eli just ran around on the playground and we tried to sit down and have lunch, but that didn't work out. It didn't work. So we packed up and drove to Archie's. Which was worse because it's, like, so stimulating there. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the most, like, there was a lot of tears and misbehaviour, but it wasn't the most successful. Tears from um, Jake. No tears from me. It's sort of like he'd scratch me like, what have I got myself into? Yeah. (laughs) He had, like, a massive tantrum. Maybe he was sizing you up. No, we just did too many activities in one day. Yeah. And he was ov- overtired by he, the end He was of it. overstimulated, I yeah. think. You and Jake fell pregnant early on in your relationship mm. and then sadly miscarried. Jake, for you, how did that first pregnancy and subsequent miscarriage affect you primarily first? And then I will want to hear from Ali. I guess it was a sort of quite a feeling of unknown, I guess. I, I wasn't sure how I was meant to feel. It's an experience. I was so excited when we first got pregnant, even though it wasn't planned, but I was so excited. I mean, I told my mum and my family and stuff like that. And then when Ellie started having concerns and then we found out that we'd miscarried, I just remember I wasn't sure how to feel. Like, I was meant to go back to work, but I just didn't really feel like going back and being around people. I wasn't quite sure how to talk about it with anyone. In fact, the first time that we really actually spoke about it was on the podcast that we did so it was something that I would probably handle differently next time but right uh, in what way just be more open about it especially with my partner and friends um, and just I've sort of read up that you know like it is actually a real struggle for people when they do miscarry and it does affect people a lot more than what you would think yeah so I'd probably just be a lot more open about it how I was feeling and you know accept that for myself And I think especially often missing from the conversation is how it affects the dad, you know. We do, Mm. I mean, understandably, we put a lot of the emphasis on how it affects the mother, but, you know, it's equally devastating and a moment to grieve for you. Yeah, there's a part of you that wants to be, like, the supportive person for your partner, you know, and I sort of felt like if I really opened myself up to how I was feeling, like, it would make things harder for her. Yes. But now looking back on it, I think it probably would have been better that we both shared those emotions openly and it probably would have been a little bit easier to to deal with. But I think then the fact that we sort of had planned for that baby and we sort of decided... Like, you started making plans. We started making plans and that also helped, you know, like yeah. planning for the future sort of helped us to move on from that. Right. And Ellie, what was the experience like for you guys? As a couple, yeah. I mean, we didn't really talk 
much about it, hey? Like, other than the fact that we... I feel like the most that we said to each other was that we feel sad. And that was honestly, I think, the extent of it. But, like, the more that I think about it, I think a part of me felt relieved only because it was unplanned. Mm -hmm. And then I felt a lot of shame around feeling like that because, on the flip side, I also felt really sad. Yeah. Like, I think it was, like, the other day I was like, oh, like, we would have been giving birth to that baby soon. Right. We would have been due with that baby soon. So it's, like, still something that, like, I think about. Had you experienced miscarriage before? I hadn't. And for me, the way that I look at pregnancy is, like, the second you find out you're pregnant, for me personally, I feel like I'm now a mother to one or I'm now a mother to two. So, like, for me, the way I see it is, like, I lost a child, not... I found out I was pregnant at four weeks and then we miscarried. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think the reason that I did feel a sense of relief was because I just, it felt like history repeating and I just didn't want to start a relationship with someone that I saw a future with. Under those circumstances. Under those circumstances. And I mean, we fell pregnant six weeks after we'd miscarried, right? So it's like, it's still really early on in our relationship, but it's so different planning the pregnancy versus going through an unplanned pregnancy and like I went through a lot of stress with like Eli was unplanned and there's like there's a lot of added stress to a relationship when the pregnancy is unplanned and so yeah I think that's where that kind of sense of relief came from but I still sad that we lost the baby so like it's confusing yeah when you've kind of got these two different emotions that is meant to be so separate from each other. What kind of conversation did you guys have as a couple that led you to decide to try and have another baby again? Because it wasn't, the first pregnancy wasn't planned and we were like, oh, okay, do we, you know, keep, do you want to keep it? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to do this. So we had started making plans around moving in together. Um, I didn't want Ellie to be pregnant and be apart and with Eli and then for our baby to be born and we're living in separate homes. So we'd made those plans to move in together. So we'd already got the ball rolling. I told my flatmates that Ellie was moving in, etc. So I was sort of I sort of just went, Do you wanna try again? I know, because then it was like, oh, well, okay, what do we do now? Like, I think I just moved into my apartment and then I hadn't told my landlord that I was needing to like move out, but you told your flatmates that yeah. they need to move up basically <laughs> <laughs> so then yeah I think the conversation was like oh well like what do we do now do we move in together do we try yeah again I mean I was all for it I was <laughs> like yep let's I mean I'd got my head around it and you knew it was something you'd always wanted yeah. anyway so to me, be a father it was, just like, yep. it was a I timing was, thing right timing and I just knew the person that I was with as well and I was I was happy with her and Eli in my life I felt like it what being what I've been waiting for, you know, that family element. And I was just, I didn't have any doubts. Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, I probably should have had some, <laughs> more, some more doubts because it's, it is tough, you know, like financially and everything, the logistics of it all, you know, I did think it was like, you know, going to be a bit more breezy. But, <laughs> I yeah. know. And that brings me to this topic of like the blending of families. Like, First of all, how did you tell Eli that essentially you were going to be living together as a family and that you were going to be having another baby that would be Eli's brother? We didn't tell him that we were going to have another baby because obviously with the miscarriage, we were quite like scared, hey, like the first yeah, we kind did, of 12 weeks. We did 
probably like 20 pregnancy tests. Yeah, literally. Like we were always checking. It was you know? cr- like, we were so paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we didn't want to tell him. We didn't, yeah. We until didn't we tell had him. that 12-week scan. Yeah. By that time, you'd already moved in. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were yeah. already living together. But I think before we, because we had like kind of like a month and when we decided that we were going to, you know, keep trying and, like, still move in together, we had, like, a month. So I would just talk to Eli and say, like, we're going to move in with Jake. Like, that's going to be our new family home. Like, we're going to be a family. And and that's kind of all I really said to him. I would just talk about it a lot, but I would just say that. Like, I mm-hmm. also didn't want to overdo the whole we're a family yeah. kind of thing and just give him also, like, the space to figure that out for himself in yeah. a way. But yeah, like he loved Jake from the get-go. He had already said that he loves you like before we'd even moved in. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so like it was fine. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a massive yeah. deal to be honest. And I guess that just speaks to that whole when you know, you know. Yeah. Step parenting is something that's like a really common experience for so many Kiwis. Jake, how did you sort of think about your role as a stepdad? in terms of being a father figure to Eli and thinking about the kind of figure you wanted to be in Eli's life. Hi, it's me. We'll get back to Ali and Jake soon, but before we do, I just wanted to pause because this is the very last episode of What We Call Love, and I didn't want the series to end without getting the chance to say thank you for listening and for sharing and for coming back here every Friday for the past seven weeks. One of the biggest challenges I faced when signing on to do this project with Bumble was deciding which stories to tell. I mean, it wasn't like I was going to be short on material, right? We're talking about one of the most universal experiences in the world. But how was I meant to condense it down into just seven half-hour episodes? How do you decide which stories to tell when every single person's experience of love has contributed to the fabric of this country? It was also hard for me to know how the project would be received, which meant that for a long time I was really nervous. Mostly I was nervous that I wouldn't be able to do my guests justice because in case you haven't noticed, the people in this series are all fucking phenomenal and I just didn't know how I would get that across to you in like 32 minutes. The older I get, the more I am aware of how different each of our experiences can be of the same thing. In this case, it was the experience of love and dating. It's influenced by things like the family we grew up in, the religious beliefs we hold, our exposure to trauma, the colour of our skin, early sexual experiences, conversations we had or didn't have with friends in school, and even the movies and TV shows we watched. Which I think is why I learnt so much from these seven stories, because they were all completely different from each other's and my own. I learned that one of the quickest ways to lose your libido is to get really burnt out, and one of the quickest ways to get it back is to treat yourself like the guest of honour in your own life. I learned that conditions like spina bifida and sacral agenesis exist on a spectrum, and depending on where you land on that spectrum will have vastly different outcomes on how the world sees you. 
I was reminded of the crucial importance of equitable healthcare and how having access to it both directly and indirectly impacts the social opportunities we have. I learned that the best time to have sex is right before dinner and that every woman needs a travel size vibrator. I learned that marriage isn't a parked car and modern dating is like having a newborn. As soon as you think you've figured out when it eats, when it sleeps, when it poops, and what its seven different cries mean, the baby changes and you have to figure everything out all over again. I learned that when someone tells us who they are, we only have two jobs, believe them and then make space. And all throughout the series, I was reminded of the importance of language. I learned that compromise is agreeing to go to the beach for the day instead of the park or to make tacos for dinner instead of pasta. Compromise is not, however, sacrificing your values, needs, hopes or dreams just to make another person happy. I was reminded of the power of prayer and believing in something bigger than yourself and I had the privilege of reconnecting with my own faith in the process. I learned that there's no rule book for blending families. It will always be messy, no matter how well-intentioned you are. And I learned that grace is seeing your faults, flaws and monumental fuck-ups as par for the course, not a breeding ground for shame. Maybe you learned some of these things too, or maybe your list is completely different to mine. Regardless, Bumble and I hope that you saw a piece of yourself and more than anything, we hope that the stories of Stacy, Shakti, Bex, Chantal, H, Lara, Ali, and Jake have served as a launch pad for further conversation, deeper connection, and a greater sense of community. Oh, and I'm still single, by the way. Thank you for checking. Download Bumble today and for God's sake, make the first move. It's one app, three modes, one mission. Yeah, it was something that I had, you know, internal battles in my mind about as to what you can do, when you can do it type of thing. Um, but for me, there is no sort of right or wrong or you just sort of feel it and you know and you know that you can act natural and if it comes naturally, then it works. And that's what I sort of just based it on was just not forcing anything, letting Eli be the guide of what he was open to. But also then on the flip side, it was like, You've got this kid that you see, you know, as a son living in your house and you've got to try and discipline him, you know, so how do you do that? But once again, I just sort of let what came naturally um, and I think me and Eli just developed a really good bond and I always sort of thought, how would I want somebody to treat my kid in that situation? Cool. And then that's sort of, you know, how I am. But very important to for me to not try and be replacing anyone in Eli's life. I'm very, like, you know, supportive of his, his relationship with his father, sending him photos, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So wanting to be a father figure but not trying to replace yeah. his and father. what kind of relationship did you want to have with Eli's father? My relationship that I want to have, I guess... I sort of try and keep as separate to Ali and his relationship because for me it's a my relationship with him is just about Eli so I don't really want anything else to come between that yeah. um so I'm just try to be on good terms try and be supportive and try and let him know that you know I'm doing my best for Eli and you know that he has a loving and supportive home and family and that's I guess all any parent wants to hear is that their child is going to be safe yeah. and loved 
Ali, you're South African and Eli's father's East African. Jake, you're a Kiwi. Did you guys have any conversations early on in your relationship about Jake's role as a stepdad to a biracial child and what raising a biracial family would look like for you guys? We should have, because every time we do talk about this type of stuff, we end up disagreeing. <laughs> we, do, we do. A lot of it for me, I guess, is it's all learning and understanding and things that I perceived or thought was the right way to do things, I probably haven't been exposed or thought of what it's like for people from that different culture, different backgrounds, different ethnicity. So even though I argue with Ellie at the beginning, a lot of the time I walk away and go, you know, she's actually right, you know, and so it's all, oh. I'm all I, I, don't, I don't let her know that all the time, but, you know, definitely. Um, what kind of stuff would you sort of argue about? I mean, we've had some sort of discussions around the Black Lives Matter protests and I guess there was that time that I said Eli's the little brown boy over there. Yeah, and I I was trying to explain to you why that wasn't acceptable yeah so <laughs> like so I did Eli was at soccer and I someone asked me which one's your boy and I said oh he's the brown boy over there and so for me I had always been going to be raising a biracial family I wanted them to be proud of you know this I didn't want them to see brown or black as a negative term you know I wanted them to be proud of who they are and I was quite sort of narrowly focused on that that I didn't sort of see what Ellie's points of view were and, you know, and they rightfully so. I mean, I I didn't grow up with that, so it's I shouldn't really be, you know. Mm. But just, we just had some differing opinions. We're all just stumbling, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it's so hard as well because every situation that we're going to face, there's going to be different context as to why certain things are appropriate and why they're not. For example? So even just with that soccer example, I remember I said to you, I said, it's not the fact that you pointed out that he's brown. He is brown. We are a biracial family. Like, that's fine. But it was the fact that I think that you'd said he's the only brown kid there and it was the only. Right. And right. then And then also, like, I was like, well, couldn't you have said he's the one with the red shoes on? I guess it's that whole conversation of, like, we don't, label white kids and go it's the white kid you know in a a different context saying that Eli's brown might not be an issue so it's so I think it's so layered and it's not simple no Um, and you and I've even had conversations around that about the language that we use yeah in terms of colored versus black Mm. you know and you growing up in South Africa you've had Mm. this sort of duality of an experience yeah I was saying how because I'm a colored South African my my experience or how what I identify with is not being called black, is not being called brown. And there's a lot of conversation now in terms of like the language that we use, but a lot of it has American context. Like I think in America and the UK, being called coloured is actually like a derogatory term. Whereas like I'm like, no, but that's how I that's who I am. Like I'm a coloured South African. Like we have our own entire culture. So I think like that whole conversation around race is just so layered and like Eli and this baby are going to have a very different experience. Their experiences are going to be very different. 
Eli and versus the child. Yeah, because essentially I've got one son who's three quarters black, a quarter white, if we look at the mix of me being coloured and then his dad being black and then our son is going to essentially be three quarters white, a quarter black, you know. They're going to have really, like, different experiences. And so, like, for me I always think about, well, how do you raise two boys who are going to have different experiences mm. in the same it's fine within our household but it's like how do we operate and function as a family in the world yeah isn't that funny that's so true right see this is why i need to listen and learn because <laughs> you know for me for me it is just as simple as black and white you know like in terms like that so I don't go as in-depth as what Ali sees, you know, the issues that we might have and the challenges we might have to overcome. So, Mm. you know, it is a lot of learning for me. Yeah, I think about it as, like, blind spots. So, Jake, you and I being white, we have blind spots, things that we haven't thought about or recognised. And I just think we have to always be willing to evolve our thinking and to pivot and to apologise, even if the intention was was yeah. was fear and came from a place of love because what I'm learning is that it's not the intention that we have, it's the outcome. And I think you guys are such a great example of what it means to have some of these uncomfortable conversations, but to kind of meet each other from a place of love and be both just committed to keep having uncomfortable chats, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always said to you, I said, no matter like what I sort of say or do you know that I'll always support you and I'll support our children, mm. you know? And for me, yeah. that I might not have the answers or say the right thing, but I'll always support them and, you know, stand up for them and who they are. So I'll let you guide me on the <laughs> when and where. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, you guys are now a matter of weeks away from becoming parents to another beautiful baby boy. What are each of you most excited about? For me, it's the whole journey. Obviously, I love Eli and I love having him in my life, but I, he came in at four years old. So for me, it's the whole, it's been the whole pregnancy, but just, you know, when he's, when the little man's first born, you know, holding him for the first time, the first steps, you know, his first words, all of that stuff that I haven't experienced before. So it's pretty hard for me to put a pick a single thing that I'm excited about because I'm just like... Fizzing. <laughs> yeah. Fizzing. Fizzing, yeah. Fizzing. So, yeah, the whole beginning is just going to be amazing. Yeah, for me, like, watching you with Eli is, like, amazing mm. and you're such a good dad already. So I think I can't wait to see, like, what it's going to be like with a newborn. And honestly, that moment when, like, you give birth and they put the baby on your chest and you look at your baby for the first time, it's... The cra- like the craziest thing. My chest first? <laughs> no, on my chest. <laughs> no way. My chest. But it's the craziest thing. And then like your baby looks you in the eye and you're like, you're that person that was in there. Oh. Like it's just, yeah, that moment is just amazing. Second to none. Yeah, I can't wait for that particular moment. And for Eli to meet him. And for Eli to meet him and to see how Eli's going to be as a big brother. Like it's just, oh, I think that's like I amazing. I think Eli's going to be like the most amazing big brother because even though he's so energetic and (laughs) so much hard work, there's this real kind nurturing side to him. Yeah. Like for example, anytime I my crutches fall down and they fall down a hell of a lot. He runs like, are you okay? You know, like, I love you. Hug. He's hugging the phone at the moment. Because yeah, um, he's, he's at his nana and So when we call, he hugs the phone. Like, he's just going to be real <laughs> awesome for that baby. Yeah. For his brother. 
Yeah, I think he's going to grow so much like a person as well. But yeah, I mean, he's going into like starting school and then like becoming a big brother. It's like yeah, it's massive. This is this is massive for him. This yeah, this time. is massive. And yeah, I guess like I was I was so worried about like what's going to happen when I have another baby. Like, how is Eli going to take it? But he's just so ready. He calls for it. it his baby. He, yeah, he, he goes. Call- when's my baby coming out? <laughs> yeah, when's my baby coming out? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm so excited for you. Yeah. Yeah, we're very excited. Yeah. It seems it seems like the longest wait. I know, I can At the imagine. moment, the first sort of 12 weeks went quite quickly, but from then yeah. on it's just been waiting. It's just dragged, eh? Yeah. But then I guess when once we have it, we'll be like, oh. I know. <laughs> Those were the days. This is, it's it gonna seems be go so time. dragged on, but, yeah, I, we, I still feel like we've still got so much to do. I know. Um, it's really only just beginning. Yeah. Just even trying to get the house set up, and obviously it's a bit difficult for me at the moment to – Sort of, we're still working on getting the nursery set up and everything in place, so there's still a bit to do. Yeah, so you can't come yet. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank Thank you you so much for chatting with me.